If you got a Bible, and I hope you do, open it to uh, Nehemiah chapter 7. And as you're doing that, I want to mention a couple things. Big thanks to my brother from another mother, Don McKelvey, for preaching last Sunday. Where's Donnie Mack? Yes, yes. Wasn't it great? <laughs> preaching out of uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9, the beautiful story of Mephibosheth. And if you did not get a chance to be here last Sunday, I'd love for you to go to our website and download or listen straight to from the website to Don's message. Come to the table last week. Today we're going to pick back up in our Nehemiah series. We are working through the Old Testament, rather obscure book of Nehemiah for a couple reasons. Number one is it is a beautiful story that I will summarize here in just a moment. Secondly, uh, we, we like to work through books of the Bible because it, it, the Bible is a meta-narrative. It's a story. And when you, as a preacher and as a church, or as just an individual Christian reading the Bible, get into a habit of just kind of plopping down and, and parachuting down into little portions of Scripture, um, it can begin to develop a view of the Scriptures that is out of context because the Scriptures is a story. And so we like to work through, not all the time, but we like to work through books of the Bible. The, the, one of the challenges of that is that, um, especially in the Old Testament, there are passages of Scripture that, um, are, are, that they don't just sort of give themselves to like exciting Sunday morning material. You know this because we preached through Nehemiah chapter 3, which was a list of about 75 Hebrew names, and the first part of Nehemiah chapter 7, which was another list of Hebrew names. But um, somehow we made something out of that, hopefully. And this week, uh, we're going to read just the end of Nehemiah chapter 7, which is just a list of things that people gave. And if you read ahead and you, listen, you read my email, you know that um, today you're wondering, what in the world is he going to get out of this? Well, you're about to find out in a few minutes. Um, but let me catch us up on where we are in Nehemiah and why we are even considering and preaching through the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the story of God's people, the Old Testament nation of Israel, the Jewish Hebrew people that God formed as his people for himself. And in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, in fact, in Genesis 11 and 12, God calls out this man named Abram and calls him eventually Abraham. And he forms a group of people through Abraham and he through their disobedience and their rebellion, continues to woo these people back to himself by prophets and kings and leaders and judges. And he, his desire through these people is to build a city, a nation that, that is his, not just so that these people can be better than other people or they can only be his people, but that through these people, God would bless all the nations of the earth. In fact, when he called this man Abram out of just wandering around in the desert, he promised him a few things. He promised him that he would have uh, many, many, many children. In fact, that his, uh, his offspring would outnumber the stars in the sky. He promised that him that he would give him blessing, that through Abraham he would bless him so that all the peoples of the earth could be blessed through Abraham and his offspring. And then finally, he promised him land, a place, a city, that this place would be the place that God dwelt with his people. And as the New Old Testament progresses, we find that that place is the city of Jerusalem. And then the temple becomes the center of the city of Jerusalem. And eventually the Jewish people build it. But eventually, because of the consequences of their disobedience, it is destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar in uh, 586 B.C. Well, the Jewish people are in captivity. 
And then God raises up two leaders, Ezra and Nehemiah, who lead God's people back from captivity with the permission of a pagan king, which I love because God can even use pagan kings like Artaxerxes and Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and Cyrus to bring about his purposes. And Ezra and Nehemiah lead God's people back to the city of Jerusalem that has been destroyed to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city and the walls around the city so that God's will would be done, that through these people, God would bless all the people of the earth. So the city is important. In fact, that's why we sang that song just a little while ago, that God is the God of this city, not just so that we can be Christians in the Bible Belt, but so that through us, God would bless all the cities in the world, or the world, the people of the world. And so Nehemiah brings his people back, and we've read through the first seven chapters that the city was broken down. It was, in fact, it was worse off than he thought it was. The, the walls were in disrepair, and he faced challenges. And so the analogy for us is that as Nehemiah and the people are rebuilding the city of God for the purpose of making that a place through which God's name could be great in all the world, just as that is uh, what God was doing in them, he's also doing that in his New Testament people, us now, the spiritual Israel Christians today. He's building cities, he's building churches so that through us, God would bless all the peoples of the earth. And, and the churches are broken down. We, we have uh, TV stations that are full of ridiculous doctrine, prosperity, self-help, watered down, um, self-help pragmatism rather than the true gospel of Jesus. And so just as in Nehemiah's day, our, our, our mission is to build the city of God so that through us, God can bless all the peoples of the earth. But it's a challenge. Nehemiah finds a city that's broken down and he faces opposition from the outside. Look, it's unpopular if you take a stand for God. He faces opposition from the inside. In the last four and a half years of, of pastoring this church, I, I realized that it's difficult. Um, people, will, people will become discontent and, and frustrated, and some people will leave, and people will fight with each other, and people will sin against one another. And building a community that, that, that lives for Jesus and like Jesus is probably the most difficult thing a group of people can undertake in this broken world, and I know that. I know that, and, and if you've been here for a while, you know that as well. But they face these challenges, but yet they rebuild the wall in just, in just a few weeks, actually, and now they have the city established, and now for the rest of Nehemiah, we're gonna find out about life in that city and these people actually becoming God's people so that through the nation of Israel and through the New Testament church, God can bless all the peoples of the earth. So we're gonna read the last part of Nehemiah chapter seven today. And um, then we're going to do something a little unique today. So if you've got a Bible, open it to Nehemiah 7. And uh, let's, let's, uh, let's go. Nehemiah 7, verse 66. And before I read, let me pray and ask God to help us. Father, thank you that we are struggling and striving to be a group of people that believe with our lives that the scriptures are true and that the scriptures that we have on our laps or in our hands right now are given to us by your grace and the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit that fills us that know Jesus in this room today is the only way through which we can have any understanding of these scriptures. That we're people that believe 2 Timothy 3, 16 that says all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for reproof and training and teaching 
people in righteousness so that the man and woman of God may be equipped for every good work. Part of that scripture is Nehemiah chapter 7, verses 66 through 70. And so God, help us not um, be, help us not be shallow Americans who just want a good word on a Sunday, but help us eat our vegetables too. And thank you for this scripture because it forces me to talk about a topic that I instinctively would avoid, which is money. And if there's visitors here today, God, and they... And their one complaint against church is that, oh, every time I go to church, all they do is talk about money. <laughs> God, in your, in your providence, would you allow that to be funny to them, that they're here today? And would you also give them the grace to realize that um, we're just striving with every fiber of our being to be biblical people who live like Jesus? And God, illuminate something to our hearts. And today, God, strangely... Would you make today not about money and giving, but about a resurrected king who, who is the Lord of the universe and whose sovereignty extends over everything? Would you give us that great grace today? And God, if there's somebody in this room who doesn't know the King Jesus, would you cause them, as Peter says, to be born again by the living and abiding word of God. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's read, and then we're going to do something a little different. Nehemiah 7, verse 60, chapter 7, verse 66. The whole assembly was together. The whole assembly together was 42,360. So they've built the city. They're all there. All the people are in this city. And this is God's people. That's about the size of the hometown I grew up in. That's sort of striking. Like all of God's people, 42,360. Besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337. And they had 245 singers, male and female. Let me just stop there and say that, that worship and singing is a huge part of what the people of God do. Like some men I know in this room are probably not natural singers, uh, or at least you're not in a, in a situation like in a church deal, but I want to encourage you, singing is huge, it's big. I mean, all of us sing anyway. Even you masculine guys that like don't want to actually sing with us when we sing the songs, you're the same dude that's singing in the shower or, or, or rocking it out in your car. I mean, you were, we were made to sing. I know for some of you manly men, it may feel kind of girly, but it's actually biblical and one of the most spiritual things for you to do. It is, we were made to worship. And, and, and I don't just mean singing songs together, but that is an outflow of, of what we were made to do. There's 245 singers, and that's mentioned. That's incredible. Verse 68, their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, and their donkeys 6,720. Now some of the heads of fathers' houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 derricks of gold, 50 basins, 30 priest garments, and 50 minas of silver. And some of the heads of fathers' houses gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 priests' Garments. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. So what we have here is an account 
of all that the people gave and basically a report in Nehemiah's journal, which becomes the book of Nehemiah, of what the people gave and, and how, how this kind of worked out. And, um, and this kind of has worked its way into common American church culture in the form of a Wednesday night business meeting. Yes, we, we love those. Any of us that got any church culture in us, you know, the Wednesday night business meeting? Well, when we started Crosspoint about four years ago, we tried to have one of those. In fact, we did have one of those right here, in fact, um, on a Wednesday night or maybe a Sunday night. And for the four of us that were there that night, it was a glorious event. And so, you know, we kind of started talking and realized that, hey, maybe, you know, everything is spiritual, right? I mean, we, you know, we don't want to like stop what we're doing as a, as a spiritual group of people and um, do a business meeting. And so um, Riddle and I a while back thought, you know, it'd be great if, if um, every now and again we just kind of on a Sunday morning when we got everybody, even if it's just first time visitors, we just surprised folks with a little financial business meeting update. And we did that at the beginning of the year, just kind of rolled it out. And so... Surprise! <laughs> we got another financial update. And so, um, so for our Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 66, to kind of roll through kind of what we got and what we're doing with it, um, give it up for our elder in charge of finances, Reynolds Counts. Yeah. All right. Surprise. And so Nehemiah said he did an inventory of what everybody gave. Are y'all ready? Look for your name. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're not going to do that. Um, and as a matter of fact, business, uh, finance talks, money talk, I know it's awkward. And if you do it in your house, let's say once a week, probably not likely, but once a month or maybe even once a year you do that. Usually if you do that and you're a couple and you have a little financial meeting, usually there's one person that's excited to be at the financial meeting and there's another person who cannot wait for the financial meeting to be over. So I know that in this crowd, there's some of each. Some of you are going, this is going to be great. I hope there are spreadsheets and charts and flows and arrows. And, th and then other, other of you are going, when is he getting down? How long is this going to last? Because that's, that's the reality of money. Some people really like to dig in probably a little bit too much, and others really don't like to dig in, and those people really don't pay attention enough. So this is marriage counseling right there. Um, if you want to take that down, both of you need to kind of, one of you need to come up a little bit, come up a little, another one needs to come down a little, meet in the middle, but you need to have financial meetings. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, Crosspoint's been around for four and a half years. Um, Brad obviously planted the church, and it was uh, originally kind of a, a, there was a council of men who did all things. If there was a building decision that needed to make about the old Mountain Hill Schoolhouse or the point or, in, or, or, monet, or money decisions that needed to be made, the council made those decisions. That was um, Will Clark and Justin Finney and Heath Edwards. They just made every, every decision was made. And then as we started to grow, we kind of started making different groups. So we had a financial committee, we have a building committee, and we have other kind of like churches do, just start forming committees. We only have a couple of committees. One of them um, is our financial committee. And on that committee today are four men in addition to Brad and myself. And so Terry Cole, Bob Rosa, Justin Finney and Will Brooks are on that committee, and we meet once a month to look over all of this. And it's kind of a checks and balances um, just to be good stewards of what we have been given. Um, and our philosophy with money at Crosspoint is, is this, and it's always been this, is that everything that comes in, we want to steward it well. And that's a very generic statement, I know. But one of the, the 
core tenets of what we do is that everything that comes in, the first 10% of what we receive is going to go away from Crosspoint. So the first 10% is going to go away. The second 10% that comes in, we take it and we put it into a money market account that we're kind of calling our um, building fund. And you'll, I'll talk to you about that in just a minute. And then the third 10%, we've kind of earmarked as benevolence. Now, if we don't spend 10% of that, we're not trying to go and uncover a lot of things, but we do want to be very generous because it speaks very clearly in Acts that when the early church came together, they took care of those in need. And we want to do that financially, but we also want to do that just, um, I guess, education-wise and helping people out. So with the first 10%, we take that and we put it in a missions fund. That is a missions-restricted account, meaning that is the only thing it can be used for is missions. And I'll show you a few of those things. So with that being said, another thing about money is that Brad and I don't count the money. So if we were to put a list up here of all that you have given, we don't know. We don't know what you have given. We don't look at it at the year end. We don't look at it during the week. We don't count. We, we just don't do it. So um, that's a good thing that helps us. So with that being said, let's um, go through our surprise financial meeting with the first this is 2009 through the end of September and all of this information will be on our website too so you don't need to jot all this down and try to get it all it will be on our website under the finances link but you can see through September 30th of 2009 our tithes and offering have been $502,000 kids church has brought in in tithes uh, 523 Given to missions, and this has gone into the missions restricted, $37,887. About 29000 of that was given specifically for the China missions trip. Our building fund, uh, or our build, what has been given for strictly our building is $26,557. Uh, we got a nice gift from the IRS um, some point during the year of $966 and $324 dollars has been given specifically for benevolence so that went into benevolence and went out as benevolence and then our money market interest is $1,345 so the total revenue that we brought in through 2009 is $570,580.06 so with the next slide this is what we have spent this year so through September 30th we've spent $414,423.62 of that, we've spent 30, almost 36% on personnel. That includes their insurance. That includes retirement. That includes um, disability uh, insurance. That includes their salaries. Uh, on our facilities, our facilities would include this building. A separate uh, monthly rent goes to the New Mountain Hill Schoolhouse. Also, we have the point, and we have a storage unit at Uncle Bob's. So you know where we are. You can find us in one of those places. I would look at Uncle Bob's last, okay? But we do have a storage unit at Uncle Bob's. We've spent 14% um, of that 414000 on our facilities. World and local missions, we've spent 12.68% on world missions. So every month, at the end of the month, um, Holly and I go in together and we make a transfer into our missions restricted fund plus any additional things that have been given for uh, specific missions go into that missions restricted. So we've... Um, We've done that. We've spent 12% on that. All of that money has not actually gone out the door yet, and I'll show you a little bit about that. Our building fund, we have transferred 12.4% into uh, our building fund. And again, you're saying, well, I thought it's 10%. We're talking about what we have actually spent, not of our total revenue that has come in. 
Administrative fee, 7.4. Benevolence, we have uh, given out 6.5 of our total expenses. Our worship and tech ministry, everything that you see here, there at the point, computers. Um, well, not really computers at the point, but it has to do with worship. 3% adult ministries, 1.8%. That would be life point group. That would be gifts. That would be flowers if you had a baby, that, that sort of stuff. Worship service operations, that might be communion, anything it takes to the loop, that type of stuff. Uh, children's ministry, 1.5%. Ministry development, that would be continuing education for um, any of the leadership on the, um, on the staff, sending Brad away to some conferences, books, and so forth. Um, 1.35 youth ministry Hawk's not here today I'm glad um, 1% of the expenses has been spent on youth ministry and if he were here he would he would have a proposal after church <laughs> looking for a little more women's ministry uh, 0.63% men's ministry 0.01% <laughs> One of the most overused phrases in America today is this, it is what it is. <laughs> the men have spent 0.01%. So those are our total expenses out of that $414,000 that we spent. That's how it's made up. Okay, so let's go to the next slide and percent of our total tithes. So again, that tithe, the first um, on our revenue slide, the first one and the second one, we included Kids Church in that. And I won't run through, you can see this, but again, personnel is, if you look at our total revenue, it's 30, close to 30%. Facilities, 11%. World Missions, there it is, 10%. Building Fund, 10%. Admin, 6%. So all these numbers basically go down just a little bit when we're looking at it as comparison to our total revenue. Again, the total revenue is not everything we saw on that revenue page, just the top two slots there, because missions, and if it's given for building, if it's given for benevolence, that's where it goes. So again, all of this... Just to point out, the men's ministry is still at 0.01%. Um, again, this is going to be on the website, and you can check this out. And if, you wanted, if you're that guy who likes to stay at the, the financial planning meeting a long time, you can get the calculator out and say, what is 29.33% of 503,000? And you will actually know the numbers. So, Next page. Here's who we give to. These are the minute, monthly ministries that we give to every month. You can see those, Young Life, Teen Advisor, Sound Choices, Teen Challenge, Compassion International, Pioneer Ministry, Young Life Fort Benning, International Friendship Ministries, Emmanuel Christian Church, Highland Community Church, and Valley Rescue Mission. And then also, um, on the next slide, we have missionaries, individual missionaries that we support. And that's Joey Car and Carla Ellis in India, James and Nancy Dickerson in Costa Rica, Weta Bradford is, is at CSU on the campus, Donovan and Kathy Barron in Belgium. I've realized, y'all want to start again? I've stood in front of you the whole time. Um, Jack and Dawn Ferran in Israel, Aaron and Tiffany Hansen in India, Daniel and Crystal Hovey in China, uh, Harvey and Marie Skinner in Italy, Chris and Kelly Dudley in Belgium, Michael and Elizabeth Miller on the UGA campus. Many of these people have been with us on Sunday mornings and you've heard from most of them. Greg and Susan Johnson in Bulgaria and Jeff and Sarah Barkhouse in Kosovo. So those are that group of individual missionaries and also the ministry um, ministry things that are in our community, Young Life and what have you, are the things we support every month on a consistent basis. And then there are many other mission 
uh, opportunities that come up that we do give, give to, and we roll that through the finance team, and also we have a missions team who uh, may come up with opportunities to give. And we're still, we are, work, you know, we are a work in process in everything that we do, and you need to understand that. But what we do want to have is checks and balances so that there is no doubt, there is no doubt of the integrity with what we do with what is given. So all of this is open. This may be the first time you've ever been in church and we had a finance meeting and said, here it is. But uh, we want to do this regularly so you know and there, there aren't any questions. And I will be more than glad to answer any questions or you can grab the finance team guys and um, hopefully I'll be able to do so if you had any. So next page, last page, I think. So this is where we are as of today. Um, in our checking account, we have $28,640.10, and we typically try to keep that in the between thirty dollars and $50,000. So if it were to grow once a quarter, we make a transfer over to our money market account. In our money market account today, we have $928,651.68. That is earmarked for a, our building, as our building fund, but that is not to say if something were to come up, ministry-wise, that we could not or would not go into that, not saying Brad and Rental, but as a church, we would go into that to use that. And then our missions restricted, um, what is earmarked for missions and has to be used for missions today is $19,809.37. So that is where we are today. Um, I need to do a better job. I need to confess, I need to do a better job. For example, when Jimmy McElrath was here about a month ago. You remember that? Some of you were here, and he is planning a church out of St. Luke, and we gave an offering to him. Uh, I need to do a better job, and I will do a better job of, well, what happened? You know, we come back to next week. What happened? But this is great news to report. Crosspoint Church, this is not to be prideful, but it's to praise God. Crosspoint Church was able to give Jimmy McElrath and his church plant $2,500 because of you. So that is good news, which we should celebrate. And on another note, I think the week after we talked about the, the China missions team came up and talked about the publishing company who was is, who is going to translate some books from American to China so that they can use those. Crosspoint, because of your generosity and because of a little bit of money that was left over from the China missions trip, is able to give a little bit over $6,000 for that publishing company. So that is also great news. Great news. So... Those of you who want more, I'm sorry, it's over. And those of you who wanted less, it's over, okay? Any questions? Now, we're not doing questions right now, but I will be glad to take questions. But that is kind of where we are financially. And again, we want to do this. Uh, I hope that was clear, and I hope you can understand it. But most importantly, we want to be great stewards, great stewards. And we don't, I don't have all the answers. Brad doesn't have all the answers. The finance team doesn't have all the answers. And that's what we want to come before you today and admit that. But we do want to know that uh, we don't want to spend, we, we, want, we want a lot going out. And we want to have our hand open as we handle money within this church. Because as soon as we start doing this and tightening up, things just, I mean, things can't get through. They can't get through. So we want to have a very open hand in doing that. So that's all I've got. That's the meeting. Thanks for coming to the meeting. And we're going to bring Brad back up. Thanks, Reynolds. Um, <clears throat> hey, two things I want to mention. And as, I'm, uh, as we're transitioning, uh, I want you to open uh, your Bible back up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read a couple verses out of there and then uh, bring this to a close. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it's in the New Testament, conveniently right after 
1 Corinthians. Um, but as you're flipping that, uh, I want to mention two things. Number one, as you notice those percentages, some of you may have had the question, like, well, why, why are we only spending like, you know, 1% on youth ministry or, you know, 1 or 2% on children's ministry or whatever it was? That's, there, there's no, we don't have a budget that restricts us, you know, that's, that it's not like we, Hawk has come and said, hey, I wanted this, and we're like... I'm sorry, young man, the budget, I mean, it's just kind of where we are as a church, and because we don't have our own facility yet, um, there's just not been a demand for a lot of stuff, and so um, certainly as we have our own place, those percentages of what we spend on our children will go much, much higher, and we will, we will rejoice when that goes much higher, so um, our budget philosophy is not to be one of restriction, um, and you can tell, we know, Hawk knows that. You can, hey, Brad said, ask for whatever. I mean, we, we have no really lid. We just want to be good stewards of what we're doing. So those percentages are really just an indication of where we are um, as a church and facility-wise. Secondly, um, can we just pause for a second? I mean, not, look, not to, you know, because of us. I mean, we, not at all because of us, but because God is great. We are a, I mean, when Jennifer and I planted this church four and a half years ago. Um, it, it was mostly made up of young couples under the age of 35 and college kids who were spending most of their disposable income on smoothies and overpriced bad coffee at a place called Starbucks. And, and I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. And, and, and in four and a half years, we, we have like just under a million dollars put away for property just because of excess and $30,000 in the bank account. I mean, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And we haven't really even trotted out some building fund. I mean, we haven't put any thermometers on the stage or, you know, we haven't done any of that. Like, you know, we haven't imported some guy in a, you know, slick suit or, you know, with uh, 14 reasons. I mean, come on. I mean, God's just been good to us. And so... Um, so let's do this. Let's work our way through a passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that I think has got a couple points in it that are really important for us. And then I want to tie this together and, um, and we'll spend some time responding to God. In this letter to the Corinthians, in his second letter to Corinthians, Paul is talking to them uh, about their generosity. And in one sense, he's applauding them for their generosity, this church. And then in another sense, he's encouraging them to to learn from the example of another church that has been um, quite, quite generous. And the, the thing that I really am encouraged about this letter is, if you know anything about the history of the Corinthian church, they were crazy, goofy, strange, carnal, messed up people. I mean, there were some serious issues. And there are some serious issues in this church. And there are people in this church that, um, that have got tremendous problems and are dealing with just debilitating sin, and, I, and I, I thank God that you're here. I remember it was a couple months into this church, and there was a young guy that was coming to this church, and you know he was struggling with some sanctification issues, and he was kind of saying one thing but doing another. And this person came to me, you know, kind of clandestinely, kind of in a sort of a pharisaical sort of attitude, you know, at night. No, it wasn't at night. I'm building the story up like more than it is. <laughs> But they were, they were like that righteous person that, hey, do you know that uh, so-and-so is uh, coming to church on Sunday, but on Saturday he's doing this? You know, thinking that I'd bring the hammer down. I'm like, no, but awesome. 
Like, I want people like that. Not that I'm glad that I heard the news that that kid was struggling with this besetting sin, but, but, but people, we're messed up, man. We're messed up, right? We are carnal people in process becoming more like Jesus. And it's that type of church that Paul writes to in Corinth, and it's that type of church that we are today. So give me people that struggle with all sorts of stuff, and let's together strive to be like Jesus. Just a little side note, you got that for free. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1, it says this, and he's writing to them about being just contagiously generous. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their, listen to this sentence, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Doesn't that sound counterintuitive? Doesn't it sound like because God blessed them that they have been blessing? But it says because of their extreme poverty, hmm, <laughs> that's interesting, isn't it? Do you know that the, um, you know how they rank order the per capita of income of the, uh, of the states of like the wealthiest state is I think Connecticut or something like that. You know the, the poorest state in America, or one of the poorest states, if not, I think it's like 48th, 49th, or 50th. You know the poorest state in America, you know what it is? Mississippi. Do you know the most generous state in the country in terms of per capita is? Mississippi. Isn't that amazing? Like God, there's this quote by this old guy that I love. He's probably the greatest living theologian. His name is J.I. Packer. And if I just, someday I want to meet him. I want to touch him and kiss him on the hand like he's the godfather of, of theology in our age. But he, um, you know what he said? He had this book called Knowing God. It's a Christian classic. If you don't have it, buy it and spend a lifetime working your way through it. He said of God, and this is a great quote somewhere in that book, and still he seeks the fellowship of his people and sends them both joy and sorrow to detach their hands from the things of this world and attach those hands to himself. Why? I mean, why is the poorest state in the nation the most generous state in the nation? Maybe because in extreme poverty, God proves himself glorious through all things. Verse three, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, for begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Listen, listen, the context here is these are poor people begging Paul for the opportunity to help somebody else out. Wow. Verse 5, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Point number one out of this scripture is that they gave themselves first. They gave themselves first. Look, it's, it, it is uncomfortable for me as a pastor to get up here and kind of talk about money, and I'm not going to slice and dice it and, you know, nickel and dime it and talk about percentages or whatever. I'm just going to say that God wants us to be generous, and he wants all of our life. He wants, he wants our hearts. He doesn't want us to be proud and rely on a certain percent of our income. He just, he wants, he wants everything. These people gave themselves first. Verse 6, accordingly, 
Accordingly, we urged Titus, who was the pastor, who's the pastor of the church there, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So what he's saying is, hey, you're you're becoming really good Christians. Like you're you're going to the Bible studies. You know, you got the Bible. You know, you got a, a highlighter. You know, you, you got some you got some Bible in you. You're doing a pretty good job. You're part of a small group. You've you've made a meal for somebody or whatever. But now now also make this part of your life as well. Be generous with what God has given you. Verse eight. I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. This is really, really important because a lot of you may not know this or may be very kind of sketchy about kind of Christian culture and Old Testament law, but we use this word tithe a lot, right? You hear that word and a lot of you may not know what it it means. It is literally a word that means a tenth of your income. And it's an Old Testament, the Old Testament is full of statements about money. In fact, the Bible's full of statements about money. Jesus himself actually speaks about money more than he speaks about heaven and hell cumulatively if you add up the verses. And so a lot of churches get very hung up on this notion of tithe because it's an Old Testament law uh, that, the, that God brought for the nation of Israel that said that they had to give this percentage, and it really 10% was a, a real minimum requirement. And, um, and then in the New Testament, um, a lot of churches in our day and age kind of like to conveniently um, kind of hang on to that, and, and we really have a different philosophy here. We think that the New Testament tells us that Jesus uh, releases us from the law, not in the sense that we don't obey the Ten Commandments, or but that yet the Spirit of God actually takes us to a deeper level. And then if we want to be like really nitpicky about saying you got to give this percentage, then what's happening there is that is that it's very easy in that scenario to be sort of sort of just like the righteous Pharisees who Jesus admonished in the Gospels because they were tithing out of their spice rack. Literally, they were they had like little spice like pepper and paprika and nutmeg, and they were they were giving like ten percent of their nutmeg. And Jesus is like you are like that you're missing the point if you get hung up on a percentage, what's going to happen to the, to, the, to the proud religious heart is we're going to be glad because we give 10%. But that's not the point. We just read the scripture earlier where Paul commended the Corinthians because they gave their whole lives. And so we don't, we, although we call it a tithe here, it's really just because that's Christian vernacular. That's just Christian language. We, we don't set a percentage on it because if we said Christians should give 10%, then most of us, if we got to that point, we would be proud and puffed up Pharisees. So for some of you, 10% is chump change and you should give far more. For some of you, you're in a ditch financially, a ditch and you, 10% would, would wreck you. So don't give it and get yourself out of debt and stop beating yourself up by abiding a law that kills. But follow the spirit that wants far more than just a, a little piece of your nutmeg spice rack with your life. And so we don't, we, don't put, we don't put percentages on it. And if you want more of our philosophy on that, 
Robert Ward, our intern this uh, past summer, who's here, by the way, home from college. Where's Roberto? There he is, yeah. Um, He wrote a wonderful article on uh, our philosophy on generosity and giving, and it's on the back table. I recommend highly that you get it or find it on our website. But we don't, look, 1%, 10%, 20%, 50%, wherever God leads you. Just be generous, be generous, be generous people. I have got excited and hit my Bible and lost my page. All right. You get my point on that? Like, we're not legalists, right? So here's my point. If you're super proud of yourself because you've been giving 10%, ooh, then check your heart. If you're feeling really, really guilty, because because of some circumstance in your life, maybe even the consequences of your own mismanagement and sin, you can't give 10% right now, release yourself from that guilt. Do your best to get out of debt. Sign up for our next Financial Peace University small group class and become a biblical Christian that is freed up so that you can spend the rest of your life after you get yourself out of a ditch being generous as God calls you to be generous, whatever that may be, whatever that may be. Whatever that may be. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. In other words, hey, look, you started out, and now, you're, now it's becoming more than just work for you. It's becoming your life and your passion. Verse 11, so, so now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Verse 12, and this is important. This is my first point. In fact, let me back up. I don't think I made that second point clear enough. Point number one is is that they gave themselves first. Point number two is that Paul doesn't make this into a law, and we shouldn't either. We're not hung up on percentages here. We're talking about our hearts. And then this third point is going to come out of verse 12 here. It says, for if the readiness is there, It is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. And so what Paul is saying here is that he's saying, hey, God is is looking for our hearts to be right and generous. And so if you don't have a lot of money and you give, if your willingness and you're generous and you're, you're just trying to prove by your financial stewardship that you're making God great, then that gift is just as accepted, in fact, more accepted than the wealthy person who's proud of themselves because they put a couple thousand dollars in the offering every single Sunday. In fact, Jesus talks about this, and the, the, he, he sees in Mark chapter 12 this poor widow who had, who had two copper coins, which was like about a penny, and she put that in the offering. And then there were these rich guys who were just kind of throwing off some side change. It was far more than her small offering. And Jesus applauded her over the rich person. And so the third point is, is that our giving is acceptable based on our hearts, not on our amounts. Let me make just kind of two overarching points of why we should give, and then we'll tie this together and end it. As I know, talking about money has been exciting for you. It's hard for me to ask you to give. Four and a half years, there's 52 Sundays in a year, so four times 52 is 200, right? 200 something, a little bit more than that, plus, so, so 250 Sundays we've had here at Crosspoint. 
this is the second time we've talked about money. And I have failed you in that area. I failed you. Um, some of you are really, really, really wealthy. And you're also really, 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 really self-absorbed. Some of us in this room are, in fact, all of us, I think, in this room fight this because we live in a culture that subconsciously teaches us to be selfish. We want more for what? So we can recreate. And, and this is the worst sin of all, it's my sin, is that because of fear of man and because I just, you know, want to avoid this topic, I haven't talked to you enough about it. But I'm repenting of that and starting afresh And here's why. Because we need people in this church to be generous so that God can work through the city of Crosspoint and bless people. Why now am I turning in my heart and being more courageous and saying we need to be be extravagantly generous because right now we're gathered in this room and there's a, there's a kid somewhere sitting in Columbus and he's never really heard Jesus presented correctly. There's a guy that's living for the God of college football or hunting or Saturday night and he's sitting in his lazy boy right now waiting for a silly football game to come on because there's a gal that is right now just sort of out there who has never really heard about Jesus and she is a young 22-year-old girl and she, she, she worships the God of magazine covers that tells her that beauty is skin and bones and showing that skin so that maybe the God of male approval will come her way and she will find her affirmation in a boy rather coming into a community of a people like a church like this and realizing that there's a king named Jesus. Well, why, why, why am I asking you to give so that someday we can buy a building and, and have, have a staff of people that are committing their lives to preaching the gospel and not, not, not being just a, a little club but, or a people that, through whom God can bless all the peoples of the world? Because we live in a religious world where there are thousands and thousands of people in our city who think that they are okay with Jesus simply by church attendance and they have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ in their life. They have heard the gospel of America and self-help and pragmatism and they need a place like Crosspoint and other churches like us who are preaching the scriptures so, uh, to be a great city so that they can come to that place and they can hear about Jesus. And God, in his providence, uses the generosity of his people who become a display of his grace to a world by letting their hands go from the things of this world and attaching their hands to himself and giving generously so that we can build a city through which God blesses our city. That's why I'm asking you to be generous. I'm asking you to be generous for that reason. Pray for our building search team. We've got a couple guys in particular, David Blanchard and Dykes Blackman, who have been doing a tremendous amount of work behind the scenes. We have looked and looked and looked. We're continuing to look. What we have determined is that whether we buy a building and refit it, 
and you know, make it our own, an existing like warehouse or something, or whether we buy a piece of raw land and put kind of a, you know, a simple structure on it that would be like a phase one for us, it's gonna cost us probably in the neighborhood of three to four million dollars. It's just the way it is. I mean, we can't, we can't do anything less than that. And that's not, I mean, that's not like, you know, rock climbing walls and, you know, internet cafes and, you know, all this neat stuff. Or is, that's just bare minimum, really. That's just the cost of building a structure that would house this, reproduce the amount of square feet that we have now. We have a million dollars put away. And so there may come a day here in the coming months when we find something that I'll come to you and I'll say, okay, we got a million. We need about three more. Let's go. And uh, we're not going to import, you know, slick people from New York City with graphs and charts and pompadours and suits. Our building campaign is going to be, we've got a million. We need three more. (laughs) That's that's what we're going to do. We're not going to manipulate you. We're not going to promise you financial blessing. You know, we're not going to use the word seed and harvest a bunch out of context. And we're not going to rip, and we're not going to, we're not going to rip Old Testament verses out of it and, you know, say, if you do this, God will open. I mean, yeah, God wants to bless you. But God doesn't help people that help themselves. God doesn't help people that trick him into blessing them because they were the guys that gave. The God of the Bible helps people who can't help themselves, who are in a ditch, who are in debt, who who can't, who can't see their way out, but they come and they hear about Jesus and they get part of redemptive community and their lives over the time of the rest of the course of their lives become redemptive, grace-filled trophies that speak about Jesus. And finally, I end on this. Why, it has, why I repent of my sin of not being more courageous in this area to you is that as I have begun to study the scriptures more and just consider my own life, there's something that I, in fact, it clicked for me at the beginning of this year when we were doing this series on the validity of scriptures. And I wanted to put together all these arguments for why the Bible is true. And, um, and it dawned on me one day when I was reading 1 Corinthians 15 where it says that in, if Christ were not raised from the dead, then our faith is futile. In fact, we are to be more pitied than any men and we're still in our sins. And this may be simple, the son of a football coach logic here, but this is kind of the way I look at life, is that the reason we're gathered here in this room today is because a man who claimed to be God walked on this earth. See, there was a problem between us and God. It's a problem of sin and rebellion, and I think all of us sort of understand that, regardless of whether or not you're convinced of Christianity or not, you know that the world is broken. And the Bible's very clear that, that there's a consequence for that rebellion against God. And the consequence, although it's a very unpopular message in a, you know, butterflies and lollipops world, the consequence for our brokenness is the justice of God. Romans 5 speaks specifically about it, and it says that Jesus saves us from the wrath of a holy and righteous Father. And so all of us are under that, every one of us, not just the 
not just the Osama bin Ladens of the world, but every person in this room. It's hard for us to digest that because we're pretty good Americans, right? But a man came into this world, his name was Jesus, and he claimed to be God, and he lived, according to the scriptures, a righteous and holy and perfect and sinless life. And he became the only acceptable sacrifice for the rebellion and the sin and the punishment that should have been ours. And he died for us. But men have died for other men before, so although that's noteworthy, that's not worthy of worship. But then the Bible goes a little bit further and it says that this man, who during his lifetime not only lived righteously, but he claimed to be God, it says that he came back from the dead. <laughs> and so, to me, and maybe this is simple logic, but if, if you come back from the dead, what you say, even if it has been sort of some outrageous claims, is probably true. Because only God can do that, right? And so people that struggle with the validity of the scriptures are like, oh, I don't know, should James really be in the Bible? Well, are you telling me that, that Jesus is God, comes back from the dead, you believe in the resurrection, and he's powerful enough to defeat death, and now he's up in heaven, he's like, gosh, they messed up the New Testament. I mean, I was powerful enough to come back from the dead, but oh man, if they only wouldn't have put James in the Bible. I mean, really? <laughs> really? Like, have you struggled with the, with the Old Testament? Like, I mean, I know there's some stories in there, like an axe head floats on the water. One time a donkey speaks. Moses parts some water. One dude gets swallowed by a fish, right? Those are hard to believe. But Jesus, during his lifetime, endorses all of those statements. In fact, refers to a couple of those stories. And if he didn't refer to those stories, I would think those stories were kind of crazy. But when you come back from the dead... <laughs> you're God you're God and so at that point if you beat death everything's below that right everything's below that so it's like here's an analogy for you it's like it's like if Jesus could if he was a running back and if he could break the tackle of Ray Lewis who's a football player like NFL and that's like death he defeated death on the cross but then we let our faith get tripped up because we think Jesus is going to get tackled by some little punk on the JV at Columbus High School. Right? That's what we say. Like, oh, I don't know if the Bible's true. But he already broke that tackle. He already scored that touchdown. Do you get the logic that I'm, that I'm going on here? Right? So the scriptures are true. Jesus is king. And if that's the case, and this is the part that simultaneously gives me joy, and also keeps me up at night. If that's the case, if Jesus came back from the dead, then he is the king, he is the creator, and he is God. And there's not one square inch of this universe to include my wallet, to include this church, to include my TV, to include my thoughts, to include the cabinet of the United States of America, to include everything 
that isn't under the reign of his right rule. There's not one square inch of this universe that Jesus doesn't rightly look at and claim mine. Lord, as we as we prepare to respond, God, I hope I hope that we realize this: that I really don't care, ultimately, whether or not we have a million dollars in a money market account, or whether we can buy a strategic piece of property and build a comfortable building. Although hopefully, hopefully in our limited wisdom, those things may be in our future. But our real desire is this, that you would get our hearts, Jesus. In fact, you say in your Sermon on the Mount that where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. So God, would you give us the uncommon grace to see that by your scriptures and by your Holy Spirit? Now there's a couple hundred people in this room today and I know we've all got baggage. We've all got a story about how a church or a ministry was shady with money. God, would you, would you give us the uncommon grace to see through that and look to the consequences of an empty tomb? Lord, there's people in this room who need to live their life in view of that and in response to that to include their finances. There are people in this room who are living under tremendous guilt. God, would you free them from that? Because there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But God, mostly there are people in this room who probably don't know you as king and savior. God, would you cause them to be born again right now? Would you move upon their hearts? Would you awaken them to this great truth that you're not just the way to life, you are life. And God, would you, would you save somebody today? Would you cause them to go from spiritual death to spiritual life? Would they would they be moved to have faith in you and would they repent of their, would they turn from their self-reliance and sin and God, would they give all of their hope and trust to Jesus because he is the only, he is life. He's not just the only way to life, he is life. And if that's you in here today, friend, you need to, you need to, you need to trust, you need to exercise faith, you need to, you need to put your trust alone in Jesus. It doesn't mean you have to know a whole lot about the Bible or really anything at this point. You don't have to do a certain thing. You don't have to give, be part of a church. Those things come later. So you just have to trust in Jesus. And the Bible says that when you do that, when you believe, when you repent, meaning you turn from self-reliance, you turn from sin, you turn from worshiping yourself, and you trust in Jesus, the Bible says that you become new. You have to do that today. And if you don't do that, 
The Bible has some very serious things to say about what awaits you and its separation for eternity from God. Look, you were made as an immortal being. And now the gracious goodness of the Spirit of God is is right now prying open the door of your heart, wanting to come in. Would you just trust in him? Would you repent? Would you, would you turn from self-worship and would you turn to worship of Jesus? It is not just a hope, it is your only hope. Repent and believe the good news of Jesus. If you need help and you want to kind of talk through that with somebody, we'll be down here to do that with you afterwards. But it's not a formula, it's not a trick. God, God gave you the ability to believe. Believe. And for the rest of us, look, let's respond, friends. I don't know where you are. Let's respond. Let's be generous people. Let's give our hearts. Look, there's no trick offering. I'm not going to worry. Okay, now that we got this, let's pass the bag. No, come on. Let's be the type of city that God can use to rescue the lost religious people in our city. God, as we now respond to your word and sing a few songs, God, take our hearts and mold them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's all stand.